Hey, hey, so glad you're here. You know, for children, Christmas is all about the agony of the wait. <laughs> it's the anticipation of Christmas morning and what might be waiting for them under the tree or in their stockings. It's the wonder of what might happen, what Christmas magic could appear. When December finally gets here, it's the countdown. How many more days of school? And then on Christmas Eve, how many more hours until we jump in bed and cover up our head? It's all about the agony of the wait. That sense of anticipation was felt to a much larger and more significant degree by the Jews in Jeremiah the prophet's day, some 600 years before Jesus was born. Jeremiah's prophetic words came true. Israel was taken over by Babylon. The Jewish nation was ripped out of their homeland. Now in exile, their beloved city of Jerusalem and the revered temple were destroyed and in ruins. The only hope was the faint glimmer of something Jeremiah said about a sprouting branch. Our Advent text this year, Jeremiah 33 Verse 14, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord our righteous Savior. This prophetic word could only be referencing Jesus, the Lord, our righteousness. It's explained in Scripture. He became our righteousness. He took our place as sinners. Look at this ancient document. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We were made right with God because Jesus chose to endure the wrath of God, the wrath that our sin demanded. It's the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, the beautiful exchange of the holy for the unholy. The Lord Jesus became our righteousness. And it all started with his birth. God's love for us in sending his son for us is more than anyone could possibly think of, let alone request. After he died in our place and resurrected and ascended and promised to return, this is how he is described. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He's just so much more than we were waiting for. He could have come to judge us and rightly sentence us, but he didn't. Again, the ancient document. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. He's just so much more than we ever anticipated. This this is why we wait differently. This is why we try to live differently while we wait. Lewis Smedes, in his book, Standing on the Promises, says that hoping for others is hard, but not the hardest. He says praying for others is hard, but not the hardest. Smead says that the hardest part for people who are waiting for Jesus' return is, look at this quote, living the sort of life that makes people say, ah, so that's how people are going to live when righteousness takes over the world. We don't have great illustrations of that, at least not as many as we like. The church is imperfect, and it's filled with people who don't live up to this standard. Smeads, in another book called A Chorus of Witnesses, says this, Yes, somewhere people still make and keep promises. They choose not to quit when the going gets rough because they promised once to see it through. They stick to lost causes. They'd hold on to a love grown cold. They stay with people who have become pains in the neck. They still dare to make promises and care enough to keep the promises they make. I want to say to you that if you have a ship you will not desert, if you have people you will not forsake, if you have causes you will not abandon, then you are like God. Isn't that why this is truly the most wonderful time of the year? Isn't that why people act differently during Christmas? Isn't that why a spirit of Ebenezer Scrooge is frowned upon? Somebody does something that's a little out of line this time of year, and we're quick to say, well, be a Scrooge about it, why don't you? It's as though the world gets this annual reminder of the greatest gift ever given. God loves us so much that he gave us his son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. That's why we try to live differently while we wait. It's the meaning of Christmas. To lose Jesus in this season, it's to lose the season altogether. Kevin Tully, a pastor, has a great story, a frantic story, frankly, about his family One Christmas, they have this nativity scene that's made out of olive wood from the Holy Land. And one year when his son was about three years old, his name is Kyle, he lost the baby Jesus figurine. Kyle would carry the little baby Jesus in his hand everywhere he went, and sometimes they'd find it among his action figure toys or in a pocket in some clothes he was wearing or here or there. But this one particular year, the family's best efforts to find the little baby Jesus figurine just kept coming up empty. And over and again, they would ask little Kyle, now where did you take it? You know the little baby Jesus, where is it? Can you take us to where it is? They tried and tried, but to no avail. Well, the search to complete the set became a little frantic, especially for mom. 
a neighbor just happened by when they were searching. And the neighbor noticed that there was a bit of agitation in the family and she said, well, what's the problem? And the mom blurted out, no one knows where to find Jesus. <laughs> well, the neighbor didn't have any context, so she immediately thought the family was in some sort of spiritual crisis. So the next couple of days, calls were made and questions were asked by concerned friends, only to hear the family answer, yeah, we lost baby Jesus. We can't find Jesus in our house. And Kevin, the local pastor, his wife would say, well, Kevin doesn't know where to find Jesus. <laughs> a few days later, Kevin and his three-year-old were playing on the living room floor. And the little boy spotted the figurine under the couch, exclaiming, look, there's Jesus. Sure enough, they found him. We live in a day when losing Jesus during this time of the year is pretty common. It's pretty easy to do. Distractions run amok. But stopping and resting and waiting with the intent on finding him can be eternally rewarding. The shepherds and the wise men watched and waited and looked for him. We would do well to do the same.